1: Well hello raw feeders. My name is Dee Mercer Moffat. and I'm the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company where your pet's health is our business and we're friends, don't let friends feed kibble. Well, today is Friday that means it is Dr. Judy Jacek day. Hello Dr. Jacek. How are you? Yep,
0: yeah, doing doing well. Taking some, you know, deep breaths and you know, one, one day at a time in those crazy worlds. So today, Dr. Jasek, first of all, I want to give an update.
1: So I don't know if you guys remember coming from Stephanie Lockwood. Yes. uh, Who said that um, the podcast and the information literally saved um, her great Dane's life, uh, Dr. Jasek. So that's amazing. So the great Dane's name is Aurora. And I just got this this morning. And she said that uh, Aurora had another oncology appointment yesterday and her blood work, liver enzymes, and nodes were all still perfect. And her, yay. Uh, She said her oncologist rolls his eyes when I credit the raw diet (laughs) and holistic supplements. So just as a little jab, I took her to the appointment yesterday in our raw dog food t-shirt.
0: <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> I in awesome. T-shirt, I love yes. this girl. <laughs> yes. We do have the t-shirts up on the website now. Uh, the hoodies are on their way. We want you guys to wear these. And just like um, Stephanie is doing, if you really want to sock it to somebody, or you just want to gently help people understand why your dog looks so great, wear your raw dog food sweatshirt or t-shirt but anyway so we sent the dog the t-shirt or we actually sent it to stephanie and but the dog's wearing it which is just fine um (laughs) and she said she said that the dog was wearing the t-shirt and as i was leaving i shouted over my shoulder stay raw (laughs) (laughs) and she says i don't love it." it Don't you love it? She says, I don't care how crazy he thinks I am. He's the crazy one for rolling his eyes. I'll never stop promoting you, your podcast, and the incredible knowledge you share daily. Thank you so much, Stephanie. We are going to feature that dog, by the way, uh, coming up uh, on some stuff, but that's
0: amazing information, isn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. And, you know, we see it all the time in our practice. I mean, we have, you know, some cases that are more challenging that you know, you don't see that kind of phenomenal turnaround, but we always see pet's health improve. I mean, I would have to say, even with our really sick patients, you know, cancer patients, autoimmune disease, you know, we get them on better diets and we stop poisoning their body with vaccines and other pharmaceuticals. They always do better. I mean, it may not be such a complete turnaround as that, but, you know, I was talking to a client yesterday that said, you know, her dog unfortunately has a tumor growing in its mouth that has been growing, but she said, you know, they told me when I, I took my dog in that my dog would be dead in two weeks and I've had six months and she was happy with that. And the dogs had a really good quality of life. And so we, I say we can always improve quality of life. And I would say across the board, improve life expectancy. Now, you know, we see sometimes some very sick patients coming in to see us, that we can't always completely uh, turn around. But I think we always make an improvement. But we do see so many cases that just do 180s, especially with the chronic illnesses, the GI stuff, the gut, uh, the GI stuff, the skin stuff, um, chronic things, we get them on, you know, a healthier diet. And I'll tell people, you got to do the diet. I mean, that's the most important thing. Do nothing else. Do that. And then the other supplements and herbs, there's other things that can help, but you got to do that diet and, um, get them on the fresh raw diet. And that just, that turns so many, and we see so many one eighties, they just turn around and people are amazed at how much better, you know, their, their pets do. And, you know, if we could just get the vets to see this. And like, you know, we were talking about it. it's what I want to move into is getting more vets trained and more on board with this and see the, the benefit of recommending these diets instead of just condemning them because they don't know anything about them.
1: I love that. And, and I want to give you another
0: update to another customer that we
1: have. His name is John and he's got the dog, uh, Biddy. Okay. Itty bitty. Cause it's an itty bitty dog. <laughs> and, um, so Itty, I forget how old Itty is now. Itty is I think maybe 14. Um but she started developing this huge huge tumor on the outside of her lip, okay? So John mm-hmm. didn't wanted to do um didn't want to do any kind of chemo, which which I agree, right? Didn't want to do that. Um mm-hmm. So we said, look, John, you gotta, you know, make sure that you're not doing any processed treats, cut anything out. You know, some people sneak these things in, but here's what we, we recommended. We said, do the turkey tail, do the immunity and do a CBD topical. Well, first we just said, do the turkey tail. So we got an email back and he said, the turkey tails, you know, not just, it, there's nothing's happening. We said, okay, add in the immunity. Right. That's a turkey tail mix. Add in the keep doing it. Don't give up. Keep doing it. It's a slower process. Turkey tail mix, the immunity, and this CBD topical stuff that we don't sell. Um, guess what? This thing, Dr. Drace. I've got to send you the pictures. Uh, amazing. This tumor is like hardly even there now. Oh, awesome. And um, it was literally about as big as her nose. I mean, it was huge. And so he's just like, Oh my gosh, this thing shrunk down. So I think that if people will stay with the protocol, right, we always want these protocols to happen faster. Um, I think that when home homeopathic, you know, first came in, people probably thought, you know, you were nuts uh, for doing these simplistic approaches,
0: but they work. They work. They do work. You know, I think the other thing that is a big paradigm shift for a lot of people and including medical professionals is, you know, there's no one size fits all treatment, you know, a lot of medicine, like we were talking about, um, you know, the software that the corporate clinics use, where basically, you know, the, the vets or anybody, you don't even need to have a medical license to just put in symptoms or lab results. And they come up with a list of differentials and you pick your diagnosis, and then you get a treatment protocol and you don't even have to think, and you're not even looking at the pet though. So you, know, you talk about things like, do we treat parasites? Do we not treat parasites? You know, I think the answer is different for every individual. And as from myself and my my own health, cause you know, I've been to many natural practitioners that have told me things that like, I just didn't feel like that was right for my body or you end up on like tons and tons of supplements. So I can, I can feel what I think is right for me and, and for my body. Now it's trickier with our pet patients because they can't tell us all these little nuances, but this is where we have to be very observant and we have to, Look and and you know i ask I'll ask people to take journals, and you know what what response are you noticing? Are you noticing a trend so we have an itchy dog, well, if the dog's itching fifty percent less after we've started a treatment protocol, we're going the right direction. You know it isn't going to get better overnight, but we're making making progress, and every pet, the exact the best routine is going to be a little bit different because they're individuals. So that's part of holistic medicine is, yeah, we've got all these things that could be going on, but then we have to look at the individual and individual response because there, there is no one size fits all. And that's the direction that conventional medicine is going. And it is going to, it's going to really hurt our pets. I mean, it already is hurting our pets.
1: Well, it's the, it's the low lying fruit is that I look at it. I mean, nobody questions what goes I, into our pets. You know, Neely said the other day on the, on the podcast, she goes, nobody, you know, it, they worry about what might be in the raw diet. Oh my gosh. What's in the raw diet. Meat bones are going to what, what, right. Like, you know, what, what's, but they have no qualms about popping some sort of pharmaceutical into their pet or a flea and tick or a heartworm. And right. Those are toxins, and yet this is something that we try to drive home all the time with, to our listeners. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Jacek, I wanted to talk a little bit about this today because, um, uh, you know, we we see people who are feeding raw. Okay, they are doing that, but then there are other things that are being added in. Whether that is a flea intake, whether that is some sort of weird supplement that, you know, is being given that they're buying off of Amazon that we don't know anything about, you know, and as I've said before, it wouldn't be one that I would sell because they've all got to be very clean. But I want to ask this question. If a dog or cat has elevated liver enzymes, what can we pull out from that? Right. What do we say? Um, all right. If a dog has elevated liver enzymes, what does that mean, and where do we start to look
0: for where the culprit might be? Well, the the reason we start fundamentally, the reason liver enzymes go up is because the cells in the liver they're inflamed for some reason, and then these enzymes can kind of leak out. They're normal. They're normal in the liver cells, but they will go up when the liver is inflamed or activated. Like sometimes when the liver is working really hard to detoxify the body, we'll see liver enzymes go up. And I think this happens way more commonly than is recognized, especially in conventional medicine, because a lot of times conventional vets will see that and they're like, oh, my gosh, your dog has chronic liver disease, we've got to do a biopsy and all this stuff. And I, I would ask the question, you know, what supplements preventatives, you know, as you were saying, a lot of these preventatives, especially the flea and tick are very toxic. That blood work was drawn a couple of days after the dog got a, a dose of a flea and tick preventative. That's a neurotoxin. You bet that's going to raise the liver enzymes. Um, are they on any medications? Anything that's, that the liver is processing, the liver processes, most things that go into the body to some degree, it's going to raise those values, any GI upset. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've done blood work on dogs that come in like with, you know, vomiting, diarrhea, you know, typical GI stuff that dogs get because dogs get into things and the liver enzymes can be quite high, but as soon as the gut calms down, liver enzymes come back down. So I think elevated liver enzymes, um, it, I mean, it, it can mean a more chronic or more underlying like liver disease, quote unquote, where something is not working in the liver, say a shunt, which this would be something we'd pick up in young dogs, where the blood supply is not going through the liver properly. So the liver can't do its job. So we'll see elevated liver enzymes in cases like that. But I think most of the time, it's more about the, it's the liver working, it's the liver doing its job. And when we back off on how many things that we're putting into the body, because we live in a toxic world too, and you can't completely eliminate toxic exposure. That's why it's so important to eliminate the things that we can eliminate. Um, Vaccines, did the dog just have a recent vaccination? That could inflame the liver. So I think we have to look at all that. And then again, look at the pet. I mean, I've seen lots of cases of pets with elevated liver enzymes that act perfectly normal. And when I look at that, I say, okay, you know what? We need to support the liver. We need to help the liver detox. We need to do some herbs that, um, I have some Chinese herbal blends that help bring more circulation to the liver and su- support you know, normal liver function. And then we continue to monitor. We continue to monitor the liver enzymes and see if they come back down. If the dog is really sick, I mean, it could still be something acute, something the dog ate that's driving up those, those liver enzymes. Um, And so the body might need more support. So say a dog is sick, vomiting, diarrhea, they might need fluids and some other support. Now I don't agree with, pumping animals full of all sorts of pharmaceuticals because they don't know what's going on. So let's put them on multiple antibiotics. Sometimes they're put on steroids, which is the most absurd thing to me, unless we knew we had some sort of like autoimmune condition, something that they needed steroids right then and there um, for something that might be potentially life-threatening, like an autoimmune process. But you're giving a drug to supposedly, I think this is the logic, supposedly reduce inflammation that we know is liver toxic. You know, those steroids, are going to drive out those liver enzymes. So why are you giving those? And I see that a lot. So we're giving the body more and more drugs to process. I think we need to start with hydration, just, you know, supporting the body, giving the body time to heal and balance itself out and see and you know, do appropriate diagnostics. There's nothing wrong with doing an ultrasound, which takes a look at the liver. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of liver biopsies and it's another thing that really doesn't gain us any useful information and, you know, it's an invasive procedure, you know, and, and potentially, you know, um, with potential side effects, like the liver can bleed sometimes and, you know, we can have, um, problems like that. So, I mean, I I think it's really important to step back and think about what does the liver do? What's its job in the body? What's been going on with the pet? And are there things like that, that we need to mitigate before jumping into more expensive diagnostics? And remember people, you know, sadly, a lot of clinics are corporate and they're profit driven and they're looking at dollar signs. So um, just be aware of that.
1: So, here's a question for you recently um you and I were talking about this, and uh we don't have to rebuild names we don't have to reveal anything but we um uh, we got confirmation again from a vet who left a corporate clinic um can you tell the listeners what corporate clinics are typically demanding even as recently as a couple of weeks ago of their oh
0: yeah yeah well they they First of all, I mean, if you think about, you know, a corporation, the person making the decisions as far in corporate vet veterinary clinics, the people deciding what the vets treat or treat with and what their protocols are, are not the veterinarians. They're not medical professionals. There's somebody sitting in an office looking at the bottom line and deciding how they can make the most money. How can they sell the most stuff? How can they get more people in the clinic? And so they push, you know, vaccines, every vaccine ever made vaccines have a huge markup. They're hugely profitable. Just takes a couple seconds to put that in and, you know, done. Um, And, and the preventatives, you know, so what's a good, a good business model for profitability, repeat business, right? Well, what better way to do that than to tell people, oh, you've got to be on this heart room, this tick every month year round, no matter where you live. Well, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean here in Colorado, I think those things aren't necessary most of the year anyway, and certainly not now in the in the winter time. Why do they recommend them? It's it's profit. And vets are also expected to see certain number of patients in a day. They are supposed to meet quotas. And if they don't, then they may, you know, lose like they I think they're um they do get some bonuses and some you know um profitability incentives and so the more people that they can get in and out the more money they're gonna make and they really don't have much time they really just have time to come in make a quick diagnosis send the people out of the out the door with a bottle of pills they don't have time to sit and take a history or even do a really good physical exam. Um they are required to keep pushing these people through and that's that's the life of the vet in a, in a corporate clinic. So just think about that. If you're going into a clinic, that's a VCA or a, you know, blue pearl, or what's the other one I ran into Wellhaven or some of these that are corporate clinics. Um, that's, that's what you're up again against. And you have to be really careful. It's just, it's so important to advocate for your pets.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know how we're going to help pet parents when they don't have access to somebody that won't rip them off. And, and, and I say that wholeheartedly because that's what it is. It's a ripoff, and it's dangerous for your pet, but we're going to have to figure out a way, Dr. Jasek, to help people get in that mindset. Now I, um, obviously do everything I can for preventatives, right? So I don't do things that are going to cause my dogs to have toxicities. I can't know everything that they might get into, but what I can control, I make sure I can control it in that manner. I feed them a raw diet. I don't do processed foods. Um, So for me, what I need, and the only thing I really need is a vet that is going to be able to do some emergency work, right? That is going mm-hmm. to be able to sew my dog up um, in a trauma situation, something, some something traumatic. Because in my mind, other than doing blood work, right, every year, so that I just see where we are,
0: mm-hmm. I, I'm not going in. I'm not. Right. In. Well, you shouldn't, I mean, you really shouldn't need to if your pet's healthy. And, you know, I mean, we encourage people to, learn how to take care of their pets at home and, you know, treat them for things like diarrhea and simple things. Like you said, if, it, if a, you know, dog cuts its leg wide open or it breaks a limb, you know, you, yeah, you have to take them in, but that's where emergency care, it, it definitely has a place. That's where conventional care has its place is in a true emergency, you know, take your pet in, let them do what they need to do, get your pet stable. And then, you know, we can talk about what to do to help your pet heal better in the long run. But in the short term, yeah, you, you know, you, you need to take them in and, and it's probably a good idea to inquire of your emergency clinics in your area. Are they going to check for vaccines? If you need to take your dog in, find one that doesn't, or, you know, push back. I mean, for the most part, our clients that have gone into the ER and they've been asked about vaccines and just say, look, I'm not here for vaccines. I have another vet I work with on that aspect of my pet's health. I'm just here to deal with this condition in front of us. And if your pet's sick or injured, they shouldn't be vaccinating anyway. And, but if you find that out ahead of time, you know, that would be beneficial for you and your pet, then you might not have to leave and go find another clinic.
1: So this leads me to why I think that your telemedicine is so important. Right. That if you have someone like Dr. Judy Jasek, where you can sign up to do a teleconference, right? You can walk somebody through that. You can walk somebody through, hey, here's what I'm seeing in my dog. What should I do? And then they can go to a local vet, do blood work. They can do some of these other things. And you can review that with the knowledge that you have. You don't have to touch their pet per se.
0: Right. Right. Because somebody is, you know, I mean, it's good to have somebody's hands on your pet, you know, just listen to the heart and lungs and see, you know, what they notice or what they're, what they're finding, but, you know, people know their pets pretty well too. So if something's going on, you know, I do a lot of zoom calls, people can show me stuff on zoom. Yeah. Um. You know, show me like, oh, I saw this little lump I, in the, in the mouth, I had a a, a client Yesterday or the day before, whose cat had a little pigment change in its eye, and she had very good pictures of it. You know, I was able to tell, and then ask her a couple questions about it to determine, you know, whether or not it was something to be concerned about. Um, but yeah, we can we can do a lot that way. And then you know, if you have a relationship with somebody that can do something hands on, or draw blood, or something like that is necessary. Sometimes imaging is a good idea: X-rays, ultrasounds. So you know have somebody that, uh, you can work with in, in that regard, um, then yeah, we can, we can do a lot with telemedicine.
1: That's awesome. I wanted to ask you this question. What, what is going on this is back to the liver? If your dog becomes jaundice, what, what is happening if a dog becomes jaundice yellow?
0: Yeah. So, so a couple of reasons, um, if it's due to the liver, then it's usually because the um like the bilirubin is high. Um, where again, this is where like the liver cells get kind of leaky and um they're the enzymes and the components in the liver cells are kind of getting into the blood. And so when the liver gets inflamed, they can get jaundiced. It can also be from red blood cell breakdown. So that's where you have to look at the lab work. So Things like autoimmune hemolytic anemia, um, because of the breakdown of the red blood cells, they they will sometimes get jaundiced because of that, and so you have to look. You know, are is the dog anemic? You know, are there signs of that? So the the lab work can help uh, kind of uh, sort that out. Uh, when babies, you know, babies oftentimes become jaundiced. Uh, that's because of the um, some of the red blood cell breakdown right after birth, and then that and then that goes away um the uh when the liver gets in when the liver gets inflamed and their jaundice then you know we address that we address the liver inflammation support the liver and then usually the uh the jaundice improves is this something that um is is life threatening right away i would say no i mean i would say it's a sign you know we need to be figuring out you know what's going on and what do we need to be supporting in the body but I would not say that just because a dog is jaundiced that it's immediately life threatening no
1: and this would not be a reason why you would do whether you had high liver enzymes and your dog was jaundiced you wouldn't necessarily do a liver
0: biopsy yeah I I wouldn't I I don't see much benefit really to to liver biopsies because I think, you know, if we're looking at the pet, again, doing the history, we're looking at the lab work, how sick is the pet? And we support the pet. um, I don't think that that step really gains us much. So when I look at diagnostics, I always ask myself the question, is this going to change my treatment options? And from my perspective of supporting the liver, helping the body detoxify, you know, treating the pet that's in front of us, it really isn't because what are we going to get back? Say the dog got into something toxic. Say the dog ate something outside that, you know, had some chemical in it or God, God knows what, um, cause dogs pick up things. If, if that were the case and we do a liver biopsy, what well, we're going to see, yeah, we got liver inflammation, um, you know, the, the liver you know, maybe, maybe we have some compromised circulation. I mean, yeah, there's going to be abnormalities, but is that going to change what we do therapeutically? Really not. I don't think it even does from a, um, on a more conventional perspective, just what the conventional vets do is they say, this is what the dog has and they approach it, that this is never going to heal. They don't seem to acknowledge that the body can heal So we've got this dog with this inflamed liver. So now they've got to be on this, you know, protein and fat restricted diet, usually some prescription diet, and they'll put them on, you know, some drugs that help. And then um, sometimes, you know, they'll find things like sludge in the gallbladder, um, debris just sitting in the gallbladder. Let's just take that out because we don't like that sludge in there. So let's just remove the gallbladder um, instead of just trying to. Support the body. So what what I find is that sometimes the diagnostics lead to more diagnostics and more surgeries. Like the more the more they look for things, then they find things, and then it's more drugs or more procedures or you know more invasive things. And they, these pets just get their bodies just get hammered. And I really think in a lot of cases, if we just took a step back, supported the body, and Helped the body to heal, realizing that the body can heal. That a lot of these dogs, are, they're going to be just fine. But when we do all these invasive procedures, they just end up doing so much more harm than good. And then these poor dogs just get sicker. You know, you said uh, prescription diets. <laughs> I well, know that's a bad word, isn't it?
1: Well, no, I was just <laughs> going to say, you know what? I, I was doing uh, some research on uh, natural flavors. And natural flavors that are added to foods have this component in it uh, called diacetyl, okay? And some of the food and diacetyl, the, the article was about why the people who are making pet foods were getting sick, okay? Mm, they were getting sick because of this uh, This stuff that's coming out the production of diacetyl d-i-a-c-e-t-y-l and they say the fda doesn't necessarily want carcinogens to be present in natural flavors in human or pet foods but guess what they don't control the global manufacturing guidelines um, and they say many manufacturers may be unaware of this danger um, okay I'm just going to
0: say, well, that's just scary. So our like the regulatory agency that a lot of people think are keeping an eye on things. Don't have a clue what's going on really. Right. <laughs> they're just like, I just, well, you know, this is our job, but really we don't know. So that's, that's really scary.
1: Right. So they're, they're, they were talking about, um, That these natural flavors, they they really are very dangerous. And there's asking, you know, what number one, why do they put it in food? Well, I tell you why they put it in food. So you will eat more of it. They will put it in food so that pet parents go, my dogs love it. And it can be MSG, it can be natural flavorings. But it was funny because when you said, prescription diets. In this article, it says some pet foods with natural flavors in them, Hills, prescription diet, WD, canine, Hills, ideal balance, Um, wellness, true food, fresh pet, select chunky beef, Mm -hmm. Uh, Merrick, grain-free, IMS, natural balance. I mean, come on, people. If it's got some kind of natural flavor in it, It is not good for your dog. I don't care what the marketing claim is. You've got people actually becoming sick in
0: the manufacturing plants. And why do they need to flavor food anyway? Because- For feeding a fresh meat diet, that's what dogs are meant to You don't have to flavor it to get dogs to eat it. I may can't tell you how many people, you know, will, will switch their dogs to raw food diet, you know, especially if they've been eating kibble. And they're like, my dog eats so fast. Like, is that okay? Like that's what dogs are supposed to eat. They're supposed to like gobble down their food and eat like they, like they love it. I think these, um, these diets that are flavored, they have to flavor them. Cause look at the ingredients. It's soy and wheat and potato starch. And God knows what else is in there. Dogs wouldn't eat that if they didn't flavor it. And when it's anything that says flavor on it, I don't care what it says natural or artificial or what it says. I, I don't, I animately recommend against those products because you have no idea what that is. And if they, just the fact that they have to flavor it tells you that there's something in there that the dog's probably not going to like. So that should be a red flag. Another thing, you know, some of these chemicals that they put in pet foods because they can get away with it, they're byproducts of other industries, you know. So it's some, you know, it could be a byproduct of who knows the plastic in- industry or something, some processing. And they get this chemical byproduct. And let, like, well, what could we do with this? Oh, I know. Let's sell it to the pet food manufacturers and see if they can hide it under, uh, let's see, natural flavor. Yeah. Let's say that on the label. And then we'll just slip this in. And then we have another market for it. And it's, there's no reason for it. And they're very toxic. But that, does happen out there they find uses for some of these toxic byproducts because the epa don't let them you know dump them in the rivers and landfills as they shouldn't be but you know oh let's just stick them in pet food and poison our pets with them that's that's a great idea
1: you know who i mean do they when you love to be in those boardrooms when they make those decisions are they saying look like they do with some of the other toxins, a little bit of poison, it's going to be fine. And you're going to make billions. Can you deal with that? Oh, yes, sir. I can. You know,
0: just throw all your morals and ethics aside and make more money. (laughs) I, and this
1: is, this is totally off raw dog food subject, but I think it goes to the mentality of how things are done in the corporate world. If you've never watched the show, the smartest guy in the room, the smartest guys in the room. It deals with the Enron debacle with Kenneth Lay, Fastow Mm -hmm. and Schilling. And it is amazing. It is amazing what they were able to pull off total fabrications. And you had big, big newspapers and magazines writing about how smart these guys were These guys were, how innovative they were, how amazing, and how we should all look up to them. And they convinced so many people to, you know, uh, do things that they shouldn't have done. And it will just give you this um, better visual of how things are done. And they're just crooked as hell. And yet, we, us little people down here, we think. That they're smarter than we are. And so we listen to what they say. And then we find out they were just full of sphincter juice the whole time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's always been important. I think these days it is more important than ever that you really scrutinize where is your information coming from and make sure it's people you can trust. And this is in the pet industry, you know, human industries, the food industry, um, because there's this thing called controlled opposition where they will float people out to like speak out against something that appears, you know, to be bad. um, But they're not really on your side. And if you listen long enough, you'll things will kind of start to not really make sense um, when they're, you know, because they're talking about, they'll let, they'll kind of like come out like, oh yeah, we're on the other side. And then they'll slowly kind of bring you back to the side that they were, you know, leading you against it. it it's sneaky. There's a lot of mental manipulation out there and you, you have to be really careful and ask a lot of questions. It baffles me that people just take so much then, you know, like, we see in our clients that that's just say something and they believe it. I, I don't expect people to believe me. They got a question for me. I love when clients question me. And if I don't know the answer, then I'll find out. Like, I don't claim to know everything. I just, but I'm speaking from my experience and what I have seen to work. But if somebody questions me on something and I don't know the answer, I'll be like, I'd be the first one, you know, digging in and doing some research. And finding out because I want to learn. But when you ask questions and you're shut down, that's a huge red flag. I, I would definitely be seeking information elsewhere. I we believe that you should be able to free think
1: <laughs> and to do what you want to do. And if you want to ask me what my experience is, I'm going to tell you that same thing that you do. Um, what have we seen? What what my experience is, but I can't for certain say, exactly how a dog's going to respond on heels and raw, because I don't do that. And I don't do it for a reason. You know what I
0: mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, the absolute worst thing people can feed their dog is kibble. I mean, no matter what your circumstances are, if you're going to do that, I agree with you. People have choice, but if I see clients and they're feeding kibble, I will tell them we're not going to have as good a results as if you gave that up. Now, for whatever reason you're choosing to do that, that's your choice. But I can tell you we're going to be limited on on what we can accomplish here. So that's people need to, you know, make their choices, but then understand that there's going to be consequences.
1: You guys, you can work with Dr. Judy Jacek by telemedicine, by Zoom. You just go over to her website, ahavet.com, ahavet.com aha and you can um, send her, her your blood work. You can ask her questions. You could do Zoom. Uh, she can help you out. She doesn't necessarily have to have her hands on your dog. All right? So get over there today. Get your dogs on a species-appropriate diet. As Dr. Jasic says, you got to get the diet right first. Get them on a species-appropriate diet. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. All right rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. And as Stephanie says, stay raw, everybody. We'll see you next week. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody.
0: Oh, snap!